Hello. As more people want the world to be powered by electricity, it's inevitable that more copper will be needed to turn that dream into a reality. Let's see how that relatively new change in supply and demand affects Mark's investment portfolio in this episode eight of the Desert Island Investor. Okay, Mark, you've recently added to your holding in Central Asia Metals, ticker symbol CAML, and this is a stock you've held for a while. So tell us more about CAML. Hi, Paul. Uh, well, just starting from the top with some uh, some of the basic numbers. It's got a market capitalization of $355 million. It's got a PE of 5.2 and a yield of 10.3%. Um, I haven't got the yield and the PE the wrong way around. That's... Uh, that's uh, 5.2 PE and a yield of 10.3%. Now, this was first listed in 2010. When did you invest? Yeah, I invested uh, back in August 2014 with the price at £1.73. And then I've uh, added to it at various points over the years. Uh, again, at £1.73, £1.62, £1.77, £1.88, £2.22, Two seventeen, and then just a couple of weeks ago at one pound eighty nine. So uh, investors obviously look for capital growth and, and compare the current share price with the share price journey. But uh, even though there are, f- are fluctuations, dividends are an important consideration too. And I believe that's the case with CAML. Yeah, it's been a you know um, you don't forget about the dividends, Paul. And um, I think this is something that we can use as, as a prime example. Uh, because I was looking at the, you know, if you were to look at the the share price as it is today, and it's one pound ninety five, and uh, if you were to use that initial price that I I bought into, you know, nine years ago, one pound seventy three, you'd be thinking, well, you don't seem to have made a, a lot of progress there. But since that time, the the dividends that I've received um, o- over those nine years total one pound thirty one. So. Putting that into context, or you know, if you were looking and uh, the thing about dividends is that we receive them, and sometimes we forget about them. So, if they did, this had been a, an, a, biz, a business for argument, say that uh, had retained all its earnings into the business, and that was reflected in the share price today. You know, the one pound ninety five, adding the one pound thirty one, you'd be looking at three pounds twenty six. So you'd be thinking, oh, that that doesn't look as as bad as what I first thought. So. Uh, and another way that you can look at it is that you know the the one pound thirty one as against the the initial um, one pound seventy three, um, that's an eight point four percent yield. Are you can say that it's you know I've had seventy five point seven five percent sorry seventy five point seven percent of the original investment back. So I'm already you know I'm I'm getting back to to being in it for nothing, in a sense. Um, obviously. We've had inflation over that period of time, but you know, I'm just using that initial that initial investment price to, for, for this argument. If you look at the subsequent investments I made, you know, they're all varying uh, degrees of um, of payment. You know, some might be at forty percent, fifty percent of uh, of that uh, initial price. So, one of the beauties about once you bought a share is that you know you get the the returns in perpetuity. 
Now, uh, as the podcast title indicates, uh, the unavoidable consequence of striving to achieve net zero is that the demand for copper is increasing in order to build renewable energy projects, electric heating systems, electric cars, and in expanding the EV charging infrastructure. So I'm sure that most investors would agree that's a pretty reliable growth forecast. So investing in associated raw materials seems like a no-brainer. However, I know that you generally don't like mining stocks. So what are the reasons you're wary about them and, and what makes CAML different? Yeah, this is this is one of these paradoxes, Paul. Yeah, so um, you know, there's various reasons that I don't like mining companies and I'll, and I'll go through most of them. It's not going to be um, totally exhausted, this, but very often um, you find that they're in you know political politically unstable and corrupt countries. Um, the very nature of it is the the asset can't can't be moved uh, in the event of a seizure or an act of God. Um, you know, if we got if we got a widget factory somewhere, we encounter problems. We can we can move that factory somewhere else. Or if it's you know Unilever knocking out pot noodles, it's quite easy to to move your production. You can't do that when the asset's under the ground. Uh, now, because of that, because it, you can't move the asset, you know, strike action is more likely. Um, you know, the workforce know that they've got you to a certain degree over a barrel. It's very often a, a dangerous working environment. A lot of heavy machinery and people working underground. Uh, there's a lot of dangers there. Um, often capital intense. You can burn through a lot of cash in order to get to the resource without anything coming in. So there might be a, a bountiful resource under the ground, but you know you run out of cash before you get to it. And then you've no control over the selling price. It's you know it's a commodity product. Um, you know you're producing whatever it is, uh, lead, copper, zinc, iron, and you know you can't enhance the value in any way. So you're a marketing man, Paul. There won't be much of an opportunity for you, I don't think, in a in a mining company to say you know our, our copper is better than anybody else's. And then there's the threats to the environment. Um, you can have spills and leakage into rivers, you know, scarring of the land. And, you know, if you remember probably over a decade ago, it's a different kind of mining, I suppose, but it's, you know, uh, it's on the same principle of the Gulf of Mexico oil spill, but BP, um, that has caused huge problems. And uh, recently Rio Tinto have blown up some caves in in Australia that were 46,000 years old. That That hasn't gone down too well. So, and, you know, those are just a couple of ones in recent history, and there's a lot. Um, and, you know, I think back in the day, people could just, you know, do what they, they wanted. You know, they've got to leave what they, you know, what they, what they leave behind is very, very important now. And they've got to leave generally in a better state in which they, they inherited it. And then again, as I've said before previously about mining stocks, you know, the asset is being depleted and, and finite. Um, you know, each year, each day, there's less and less of it. And also, you know, you, you're trying to predict what predicting what is there is, is sometimes difficult. It might be more, it, it might be less. So you can't always be exact about what, what there is to, to go at and what the life of mine might be. So those, you know, I, I probably, I pro- probably put you off investing in mines totally there, Paul. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I think the exploding thing was probably where I, I'd lost interest, but yeah. uh, it didn't stop you. So uh, CML, different situation? Yeah. Well, you know, there we have it, Paul. That This, this is the paradox, you know, given all those things, given, given that argument, you know, then why do I find myself um, going against, going against that? Well, uh, so I think this, 
this business centralism energy metals is a little bit different and i'll give some reasons reasons why it doesn't tick all these boxes but it just alleviates a few of my concerns so uh this is a company that ipo'd in 2010 uh and at the time it had the um the kunrad um facility which is in kazakhstan and it's uh you know when we talk about miners so this is a this is a a, a a former copper mine conventional mine um which was operated through open an open pit mine process from 1936 to 2005 and it's been left with a lot of you know waste dumps in which there's a lot of tailings so this is actually a solvent extraction an electro winning copper facility so i don't see this really as a conventional miner the copper's on the surface all the copper's in the surface so that's a major problem taken out for me and what this solvent is doing is basically leaching out the copper out of those dumps over time so i don't see this as a as a mining company more as a kind of metal processing business so that was where i i saw an exception there um now it was originally a joint venture you know 60 40 percent um in that you know 60 percent was was attributable to uh, central asia metals and then in may 2014 um camel bought the the the, the remaining 40 percent off the holder so that made it a little bit tidier that was before i i got in and um you know, this is, they've been leaching away at the eastern dumps. They've moved then across to the western dumps. And this life of mine, they're going to call it a mine, is uh, is out to 2034. Now, I've also mentioned the the heritage index. So we're talking about, you know, politically, uh, political instability in countries. And Kazakhstan does um, rank relatively well. It's, it's positioned at 71, which is classified as moderately free. Uh, nevertheless, they did have a little bit of a, a problem uh, in early tw uh, January 2022 uh, when they, I think they um, had some civil disobedience and some protests. And uh, at the, um, at the, the bequest of uh, the Kazakh government, uh, Russia sent some paratroopers over to try and help the situation out. So uh, that seemed to get... Uh, sorted very quickly and as you know um in russia are involved in ukraine at the moment now um kazakhstan was the last soviet state to leave the, um back in 1991 so there's always a risk that you know um what are mr putin's ambitions but at the moment it seems you know very you know very stable and i would suggest that he's got his hands full uh, looking elsewhere so uh yeah that was all part of you know russia again it was also a part of something called the the csto which is the collective security treaty organization which um groups together russia kazakhstan belarus Tajikistan, kyrgyzstan and armenia paul so there i thought that was um a little bit of a, an exception that's where i can i think that ticks a, a few in my concerns is that you know this is a very low cost operation because the copper is basically there you know you can look what it is you're not having to dig it out anymore uh, now at the same time um they also had a concern in um what's called copper bay out in chile uh, and chile is an, another attractive country to, to deal it with uh, on the heritage index it scores at 22 and um uh, 
as I've said, uh, mentioned it before, but this is um, like shorthand for how business friendly countries are. And um, yeah, this was a, a, a copper facility operated between 1938 and 1975. And it was very similar, it seems similar to the uh, Kazakhstan operation in that the, the, the copper tailings were, were on the beach. So, you know, we are, um, we, we're sat out looking at our beach, Paul. Can you imagine that? A beach full of copper. Copper. It must be like El Dorado uh, or El Cobre, I think it will be in, in Spanish. So that was looking very promising. Um, uh, Central Asian Metals uh, made a $3.2 million investment back in 2013 when they had 50% of the equity. Then they increased that to 75% in 2015 with an extra $3 million. Uh, but then when it came to the feasibility study in 2017, it was, you know, it, they found out that they wouldn't have the resources to, to make it profitable. So that's basically not going forward now. They still own that asset and I think it's, uh, it's, it's up for sale, but you know, probably who else, who else wants it now saying that Central Asia Metals have already said it's not feasible to, for, for production. So there was that. And then, after that, uh, they expanded. So I would have been happy probably for them just to, you know, carry on, um, you know, run down the the, the the asset that they've got in Kazakhstan. But in 2017, um, they bought a um, another mine, a more conventional mine uh, at Sasa in North Macedonia. And that's a, a zinc and lead uh, mine. So it's more conventional. And... Um, this is where we mentioned Central Asia Metals, probably a, bit, a little bit of a, a misnomer because the second facility is in is in Europe. Uh, so it's a major concern that they've got. So, you know, don't just think that Central Asia Metals are in Asia. So, yes, yeah, Sa Sasa, um, it was mine between 1966 and 2002, uh, when it had faced bankruptcy. Production resumed in 2006. Um, and then... Central Asia Metals purchased it in uh, 2017. Uh, it's another low-cost facility. Um, North Macedonia scores at 56, again, moderately free on the, uh, the heritage index. And at the time of the, at the, time of the, the purchase, uh, it was you know, $402.5 million, and that was financed by a mixture of debt and placing of, of extra shares. So um, if we look back at December, at the end of, end of the year 2017, net debt was $138.9 million. And as of the 31st of December 22, all that debt's been repaid and the company now has a net cash position of 60.6 .6 million. So, you know, they've paid that debt off now. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, looking, uh, it's looking set fair, I would say. Um, just as a, a little bit of a, an example of the split, Paul, on uh, just a, a, I think what shows an example of um, how how what a great facility it is in Kazakhstan is that if you look at the the revenues, and this is just on on the last year, so it will depend on the total tonnage that comes out and the price of the of the of the, of the commodity. So you know the, the, it's copper at Kazakhstan in um in macedonia at sasa 
it's lead and zinc. But um, 53.3% of the revenue was coming from, from Kazakhstan uh, with just 31% of the number of employees. So, you know, two-thirds of the employees are in, in Macedonia, uh, just a third at Kazakhstan. And, and, and you know, Kazakhstan is, the, is the, you know, he's, you know 53, 53% of the, of the revenue. So it just goes to show the, you know, what an advantage is that, that you don't have to send people, you know, under the, under the ground. And, um, and when you look at, 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 at what Kazakhstan are doing, uh, what they're doing at Kazakhstan, it's a waste material. It's a good story for ESG because they're, they're reclaiming all this copper out of, you know, what, what, what we say is just a dump. So, uh, you know, I think that's a, that, 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 that's a good merit to have. One of my concerns is that, is this turning into something else, a slightly different beast? You know, I've, I was happy with the, the Kazakhstan operation. Um, it's then morphed into, it's, it's gone to other, gone to another jurisdiction. It's gone to other metals in a bit more conventional mining. Okay. It's now it's, 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 it's spread its risk a little bit, which, which, which is an attraction. But, you know, one of my concerns is that, you know, we look at the two, um, so I've asked the question on, on the, on the cash position, um, what's going to, you know, now you've paid off this debt, what's going to happen with all this cash that's piling up? Um, in that, the, are you going to do share buybacks or are you going to do uh, a special dividend? And on both those cases, the, the management seem to be quite opposed to both of those. They don't like paying specials. Uh, and um, in general, they don't like um, share buybacks because they want to expand the shareholder base and not contract it. So that's leaving... What do we do with it? And just my concern is that in the kind of, if you've written those other two things off, they're looking at um, another acquisition that my concern is that they, they could get this wrong. So I hope they don't. And they've been very astute up to now. But as they get, as these two life of mind are, are approaching 2034 and 2039, you know, could they just buckle a little bit and say, well, we've got to do something with this money, so let's just buy this asset. And, you know, people who are selling to them know that, um, you know, that they they need to be buying buying something else and expanding. So that's, I mean, that, I think that would be the case whereby if they bought something that was, was a bit more of a, see if it was more of a, a prospecting kind of concern where it wasn't productive already, then that's the, something that could, that, could, um, that could concern me. But other than that, you'd say a, a good investment. Yeah, you know, it's it, yeah, it's it's done. It, it, and, and dividends are a major part of it. Um, it's it's a good company in that they've got a they've got a dividend policy, and that is to re- return between thirty and fifty percent of of the the free cash flow. And the the last dividend they paid was twenty pence, which is equivalent to forty seven percent. So if you look at the the cash that they've got, so that's sixty point six million. And when we gave those PE figures earlier on, and the yield, you've got to, when and, and the market capitalization, you've got to understand that you know quite a percentage of that is is actually cash that's in that that valuation. So you've got to factor that in. Um, but that was that that cash valuation was at the end of December. You know, you you, you would ex- well, I would expect that it's that it's higher than that at this point. You know, we're another six months on now. Again, as we spoke about in a former. A previous podcast you know when we're looking at these numbers they're all historic um but it's been a you know a very cash generative uh share and when you look at a portfolio there's not i don't think there's you know just one 
one stop that's going to tick every box. You're all looking for them to do slightly different jobs like you're doing that, that football team and, and they're all contributing to the cake. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very, very pleased of what's, you know, the, the role this has been. And as you point out, Paul, the need for, elect, you know, more and more copper for elect, as we go down the electric route, it's, um, I don't think that's going to go away. C-A-M-L. I've, I've been trying to avoid calling it camel because I thought I might get told off, but yeah, I'm going to call it camel now. So um, do they have a website? Yes, they do, Paul. Lots of information on there, Paul. It's centralasiametals.com. And it gives the uh, it gives the share price and the uh, the daily copper, zinc and lead prices, if you want to follow that. Right. Well, thanks very much indeed, Mark. For those new listeners, we have a spot called Question in a Bottle where you can quiz Mark about an investment-related topic, and that is coming up next. But first, you and the raft went missing again last Mm. week, and we've just received a parking fine from the Thames River Police. So what's been going on? Yes, Paul. We mentioned MP Evans back in episode four, and uh, my main reason for going down to London for a few days was to... uh, attend the uh, the annual general meeting, my first one there, and uh, the 150th celebratory uh, dinner, uh, lunch, should I say, at the Mansion House. But prior to that, uh, it was a great opportunity to meet up with uh, some, some, some contacts that are relative to, you know, some of our previous contributions. John Walter, who was the uh, non-executive at, uh, at Zytronic, which we covered in episode two. He's a, a very, very knowledgeable investor uh also david barry who i met at both zytronic and, and titan uh, agms and uh, he's recently increased his holding in titan from three to five percent so that was interesting and uh good to meet up with our friend over at uh, in the company of mavericks jeremy McEwen, uh where we covered him on uh, episode six and also ben McEwen, who's a, an investment director at dowgate capital so yeah busy few days yeah so back on to the to the actual um annual general meeting and uh it really was a, an, an excellent networking exercise paul um mate of mine was down there ken baker uh but i met some some uh, other um shareholders booked to in the past a guy called robert stevenson we, we hold some similar stocks and then uh, there are many familiar faces there. i think christopher mills from harwood capital was there but uh you know and also at the the champagne reception it was uh uh, Elaine and I formed a nice little uh, quintet with Andy Bruff of Schroders and Tamsin Freeman of PR World and Rebecca Stewart. So, you know, this it, it was really good, you know, chatting chatting to them. But, you know, the, the real value, let's not get away from it, is is the discussions with um, with MP Evans and getting to speak to the directors. Uh, and uh, when I was at uh, in the reception, you know, I had my name badge on and, and, and the chairman... Peter Hadsley Chaplin came up and uh, looked at my name badge and he, he said, oh, I'm, I've been waiting to, to meet you, Mark. And so I was very flattered um, that he actually knew who I was. He'd listened to the podcast. Uh, he had nice things to say about it, Paul, and, and us. And uh, he said that we'd, he thought we'd done a good analysis of it. And uh, he said that um, as a result of that, he was going to sit, he sat me next to Charles Hall of Peel Hunt. So uh, I was actually flattered. Not only did he you know, had he listened to the podcast, but that um, he knew actually where I was. I was sitting, and um, it was it was good to uh, again to have conversations with the CEO Matthew Coulson, 
and the CFO, Luke Shaw, again, they gave me plenty of time. Uh, you know, like I said, there's over a hundred people there. So they were, they, you know, they're very generous. And that was, a you know, this event lasted from I think about 10 AM until about three, something like that. So you could really get around, really get to speak to the employees. There's only, I got, I think all the employees from, from the UK were there. Cause there's only seven, there's only seven employees from, from the UK. Uh, at MPMs, there's eleven and a half thousand at Indonesia, so um, I don't think that'll look good on a uh, on a, on a pie chart. But um, it was, you know, the the employees over from some, some senior members over from from Indonesia. It was good to meet them, and uh, they had one gentleman there who'd who'd started with MP Evans back in 1943, age 14. So that was a really nice touch having him there and um i was you know you know i've made my initial investment in mp evans and um i was further encouraged by this now i've looked in, in greater depth and uh, uh if, if nothing changes over the next couple of months i can i can foresee myself adding to my position there and i've got to say as far as engagement uh, this was an absolute pr masterclass paul of how to engage with your shareholders because let's not forget about it they're the people who own the business okay right well that's all cleared up thank you uh so let's uh, get on and see what the question in the bottle is today right this is a question from amit vedhara if I pronounce that correctly, yeah. Yeah, Amit yeah. Vadara. He is uh, a non-executive at Shursock. Oh, okay. And yeah. Amit asks, in future podcasts, can you mention the Share Your Voice campaign and ask your listeners to sign the petition for fixing shareholder democracy? Yeah, well, this has been, uh, I think, headed up by Archie Norman. Uh, from Marks and Spencer, and uh, we'll certainly mention it, which is what we're doing. Uh, I won't ask other people to sign it because it's all like we said with the investments. It's do your own research, Paul. You know we can we can tell people about things and share what we we think, but it's ultimately up to individuals to make their own mind up whether they think it's it's something uh, that's that, that's worth worth backing. So I think it, it, there's a good. It's, it's a good idea in many ways, but a little bit of potentially a curious egg in that there's potentially something that that, that, that could could go amiss, and uh, we'll, we'll get onto that in a minute. But basically, you you got to respect what they're trying to trying to do. And it's a five point plan, uh, and I won't go through to, through the, the five points. I'm just trying to a bit a bit of a shorthand. But really, it's trying to fight the corner a little bit, modernise the the interaction between retail investors and uh, the companies in which they're invested because increasingly we, we go through brokers and uh, like myself and we're, 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 we're these our holdings are with nominee accounts so we are the we're not the legal owner we don't have title of the shares but we are the beneficial owner so there's not there's, uh, so it's it's difficult sometimes for private shareholders to have direct access and private shareholders, private investors, they can get a, a bit of a bum deal. Uh, this investor briefing sometimes that only analysts are invited to, private investors can't go. Uh, you have to get permission sometimes to uh, attend AGMs. 
uh, and um, you know sometimes there's placings whereby companies are coming looking to raise capital and that just goes out to institutions and and your private investor is is frozen out of that and their their holding is diluted so you know every credit that you know they're trying to raise the profile for the private investor the one concern i've got is when it comes to annual general meetings and uh, they are wanting these to be held or the possibility for them them to be held uh, virtually in that it's not you don't have to go to a physical meeting because I can understand it can be expensive or it can be difficult to get there or what's to stop a, a company holding its annual general meeting in the Outer Hebrides on the 24th of December or something like that at nine o'clock. Uh, but I do think that there is, there, there is some credit to having some merits, having, still having the physical presence at a, a, an annual general meeting. And uh, I know that um, the engagement appeal, which is headed up by Cheryl Cusa and Danny Wallace, are, are, they're fighting this quarter that the, um, the annual general meeting should be a hybrid affair. And uh, that's something that, uh, that I back. So I think they've nearly got it right on the, you know, very, you know, they've got you know, 95% of it right on the show your voice. My, my concern is on the, just the stance of the, of the annual general meeting, because I don't know how it will be held if i if i submit a question poll and is somebody going to read that out for me are they going to are they going to put the same tone on the question that i would have are they going to slightly change the question they might decide not to ask the question and also depending on the answer that you get are you going to be allowed a follow-up so i just think that uh, and i've been to various agms most of them are good but occasionally I, you just know that they want to get that over as quickly as possible and that, uh, you know, the directors have probably been, you know, <laughs> heaving up in the toilets before the AGM because they don't like they don't like them. But, um, you know, this is the one chance that we've got a year, a, le a legal requirement uh, to, you know, we, we own, as I said, we own that business. So these people, all the, these directors, they've been advising people what to do throughout the year. Uh, this is our... Our, our chance to question them and it's not always aggressive questions you know but it, it should be that they, they are held to account and uh you know stand before you and I, I i just think there's something a bit like that you get out of a physical presence just like i did with those uh meetings that i've had you know down in london you know yeah okay we can do things on on on, on zoom and by email but i think there's just still something there there about the human interaction that's worth so much more so yeah um like I say, that's 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 you know. Have a look at um, share your voice. It's, it's up to you to, to decide what you think um, uh, to get that petition to go ahead of the um, into the House of Commons. Uh, for me, I think they've got it. You know, ninety five percent right. But uh, you decide. Is there a website? I mean, if you just Google share your voice, I'm assuming that will turn up with the. Yeah, if you if if you look either on share Sock's website or if you just put in share your voice, I'm sure it'll come up. Well, that's all for this episode. We hope that you enjoyed it. Please remember the content is for information only and it is not financial advice. If you would like to pop a question into a bottle for Mark, just post your question in the comments and hopefully it'll reach the island in time for the next episode. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.